Greetings, brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you will help me to preach faithfully and for us to listen faithfully. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Have you ever noticed something ironic that made you pause and laugh at yourself because you realize just how silly things can get or how silly you can be? Our passage today has a delicious note of irony if you've noticed. Here you will see a man who is permitted to speak, but he can't speak. But however, when he can speak, he's not permitted to speak of the great things that Jesus had done for him. Even more, I think the entire chapter of Mark 7 is laden with irony and instructs us on how we are to respond to the text. So let's try to mine in deeper than just the surface and try to get to just exactly what Mark is trying to show us here. Our passage today starts by telling us that Jesus comes to the Decapolis and the description of his journey of how he went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee is meant to show us that Jesus took a roundabout route and a longer path to reach his destination. This would easily be a trip that took months. But why would Mark want to tell us this? Mark is actually telling us a lot through this if we slow down to think about it. And this verse is a good reminder for us to be reading our Bibles carefully and thoughtfully. This route described here is one that goes through the more rural regions, mostly Gentile territories, and presumably far from the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees' seat of power. It seems that Jesus is traveling through primarily Gentile areas to continue teaching and reaching out to the people there. We know his ministry is primarily to the Jews, but somehow this message of the kingdom of God that he brings is meant for the Gentiles as well, since it also shows us that Jesus is avoiding the, Je the Jewish territory. This helps us then to understand why Jesus sometimes tells people not to talk about what he has done for them, as he does in this passage as well. He's trying to keep a low profile with the authorities so that he can continue teaching and preaching for the time being. This was why Mark chapter 7 opened with the Pharisees trying to disrupt the ministry of Jesus by accusing the disciples of not washing their hands and associating with the unclean Gentiles. The Jewish leaders are already upset with Jesus and they are trying to discredit his ministry. And so we see that Jesus is avoiding conflict and taking a longer route, teaching the people who cross his path and the disciples along the way. Here, Jesus is maximizing his time on earth to teach and to reveal God's truth more clearly to others. There will come a time when Jesus goes head to head with the powers that be and he will be crucified. But this is not that time yet. We come to verse 32 and we see that the people from that region bring forward a deaf man who is unable to speak properly because of his deafness. And we see the people there begging Jesus to lay his hands on him, which is a commonly acceptable practice for miraculous healing. But we need to ask the question, how do these people know about Jesus to come to him to beg for a miracle? The answer is that Mark has already told us in chapter 5 
that Jesus healed a demon-possessed man in Gerasene, which is nearby. Do you remember what the man did after he was healed? He went to the Decapolis and he told them about what Jesus had done for him. So when Jesus arrives here, the people have heard of him. They know about Jesus and how he healed the demon-possessed man. They also probably knew about how Jesus sent the unclean spirits into the pigs and they all drowned. The last time Jesus was in this region, the people chased him away because they can only see the death of the pigs and the economic losses. But now that they have seen the redeemed man who was once possessed, now that they have heard the testimony of what Jesus had done for him, the people are led through that testimony to come to Jesus. The demon-possessed man whom Jesus freed is surely to be commended here because he had prepared the way for the coming of the Lord. Makes us wonder then how much more passion we should be showing in proclaiming Jesus to others, since we have tasted the greater salvation from eternal condemnation. So here, this man's attitude to Jesus is a rebuke to most of us for our lack of gospel efforts. But Jesus didn't want these things about him to be known to everyone yet. He still wanted to go around and preach freely to proclaim the kingdom to those who need to hear. So we see in verse 33 that Jesus takes the man aside from the crowd and attends to him privately. Here we see Jesus moved by compassion and helping someone even though that was not his purpose for coming here. Now, we don't know if this man was a Gentile or Jewish man. The fact that this place has a large pig farm and how it lies in Gentile territory shows us that it is very likely he was Gentile. Or even if he was Jewish, he was a Jew who had gone so far away from the Jewish laws and cultures that he would be considered an outsider by the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And once again, in Mark chapter 7, we see Jesus standing up to help someone who is categorized as an outsider. By now, we can see the theme, can't we? The Jews used the washing of hands as an excuse to attack how Jesus and his disciples were having fellowship with those who are outsiders. But Jesus basically tells them that they also are unclean just like everyone else. The woman who came to beg for the crumbs that fall from the children's table was an outsider whom Jesus had mercy on. And here, to strengthen the point that Mark is making, we are shown Jesus in a non-Jewish territory and in the midst of people that no Pharisee would feel comfortable rubbing shoulders with. And he shows mercy and salvation to them. He brings God's word of salvation to them. Another point to note also is that Jesus does not use the man for the sake of making a spectacle. As we see a lot of the so-called miracle healers do today, we see them placing people up front and put on a show to entice us to support them by making a spectacle. They will seek to make people fall down or choose those who will make the best spectacle on stage, or perhaps a grandmother with back pain or someone with chronic injury who, in a moment of faith, 
may forget the pain and stand up and walk, despite not really being healed. Jesus doesn't do that. He has no need for stage gimmicks. He commands and it is done. Even the dead rise on his command. So here, in keeping with the centrality of his preaching and his identity as the center and not his works, Jesus takes the man aside. We will never find in the gospel Jesus placing his miracles on the center stage to get attention and support. He always heals because of his mercy and love for people and he didn't use them to build up support for himself. But his miracles are always something that affirms what he teaches and who he is. And a lot of time, even this is done reluctantly or secretly like we see here. Then we continue reading and we see that Jesus does this really strange thing. He puts his finger into the man's ear and then he spits and he touches the man's tongue. And that is not all. He continues in verse 34 and he looks up to heaven, sighs and says, which is Aramaic for be open. At this point, we need to ask, so what is going on? Why do these things? Is it necessary to do these things so that his healing powers can go out? Surely not. After all, Jesus had demonstrated that he can make well by his command alone. He didn't even need to be there. Now, the explanation for this is very simple. Think of it. Jesus had the power to just stay at home in bed and randomly heal people around the world if he wanted to. But what is the real point of the healings that Jesus does? It is meant to point the person to Jesus as the one who heals them and then bring them to faith in him. And so, Jesus heals in person as a complement to the message he brings and never apart from the message. In healing this man who cannot hear, Jesus wants to show him that it is he who is healing him in no uncertain terms. Jesus wants to awaken his faith. So Jesus puts his finger into the ears, touching the man to show him where the problem lay and announcing to him that Jesus is going to do something about it. Then he spits. We are not sure if he spits on the ground or he takes his spittle and applies it to the man. I believe that applying spittle is more likely as people at that time considered saliva to be linked to healing. But the point is that spitting here is a symbolic gesture so that the deaf man will realize why the people have brought him to Jesus, that is, to be healed. Jesus is demonstrating that he is going to heal his ability to speak. Then Jesus looks up and sighs, indicating to the man that this healing is coming from above. It is coming from God. Perhaps Jesus sighs here because of his frustration at the brokenness of man because of sin that has led to the suffering of this man. While we can't be exactly sure of the exact nuances behind these things, we can say that the deaf man by now will clearly understand that Jesus is communicating with him and showing him something. He can therefore clearly understand that this power from above comes at Jesus' command. He knows that there is a God who can and will heal him physically. And if he continues to listen, he will know that Jesus is the one who can heal him spiritually too. So in doing these things in this way, Jesus isn't merely healing his physical problems, but he also seeks to treat his spiritual problem. Jesus seeks to awaken faith in this man's heart. The real cure 
that the man needs is for him to come to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And this can only happen if he realizes that Jesus is the one that heals him. It is only when he realizes this and come to Jesus through faith that he will be able to come to salvation. And so, with a powerful command in verse 35, Jesus speaks and it comes to be. The deaf man's ears are open and his tongue is loosened. And he understands what has happened. And not only him, the crowd do so too. Once the man is healed, and the crowd that brought him there have seen what Jesus has done, immediately Jesus charges them to tell no one in verse 36. But Mark tells us that the more he charges them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. Because as verse 37 tells us, they were astonished beyond measure. We can understand this, can't we? They have seen something that cannot be explained by natural means, and it has great significance. This man who has done these things, who is he? This question that comes out of this amazed man ties into the very beginning of Mark. Mark starts out by tying his gospel as a fulfillment of the book of Isaiah. He starts off the gospel by quoting from Isaiah. And throughout the gospel, we will see links with the things that Isaiah prophesied and Jesus fulfills at the heart of it. The answer why they are so amazed by what Jesus does here is foreshadowed in Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35 speaks of the coming of God, bringing both judgment and salvation. And when the kingdom of God arrives, it will be known by people as they observe certain signs as revealed in Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35 verse 5 and 6 tells us that the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf be unstopped, the lame will walk, and the mute will sing. It is by these signs that they will know that the kingdom of God has arrived. And friends, this is exactly what Jesus does. This is why Jesus comes proclaiming the kingdom of God is here. This is exactly what Jesus is pointing to as he restores sight and hearing to people, knowingly or unknowingly, as these people point to Jesus to say he has done all things well, they are giving a testimony that matches what Isaiah says about this suffering servant who will come and do all the things well that God has sent him to do. Here is Jesus. He comes and he does all things well. The deaf hear and the mute speak. They may not realize the weight of their declaration, but what they are saying will proclaim to the Jews who know the Old Testament that the kingdom of God is finally here. Isaiah is fulfilled and the suffering servant is doing God's work. Now, as we consider the whole of Mark 7, we will see that there is this huge contrast which is very ironic. The Jewish leaders who know their scriptures inside out, they are the ones that reject Jesus. They are deaf to his words and blind to his works. And here, it is the Gentile population who do not have the scripture that sees the work and listens to Jesus. And thus, 
It is they, the Gentiles, who declare the hidden identity of Jesus as the true servant of God and by implication, the true Israel. To link this with our Old Testament passage from Isaiah 42 that was read today, we see the servant of God, the people of Israel that God has sent as a messenger to the world, are blind and deaf to God. And it is in response to this failed servants of God, the entire nation of Israel that we have seen so far, that God sends the true servant, the true Israel to fulfill God's work. Jesus is the true Israel. You see, Israel was meant to lead people to God, but the Jewish leaders have forgotten this. Instead of seeing how Jesus was leading people to God, they only saw the issue of clean and unclean and used the hand-washing rituals as an excuse to reject the Gentiles. This is why Jesus speaks out against them in this chapter and reveals to them that true uncleanness comes from within. And it's not right to cut off the Gentiles from coming to know God. This is why Jesus and his disciples ate with sinners and Gentiles. This is why Jesus grants the wish of the woman who asked for even the crumbs that fall from the table that God has set for the Israelites. This is why Jesus went to all this trouble, spending months of traveling in order to preach the message of God to all the outskirts of Israel and to the Gentile cities about the kingdom of God. This, therefore, is the great irony of Mark chapter 7. God's people have failed to serve God, and it is the Gentiles who are the ones that recognizes this Messiah. So, as we close Mark 7, we have to look deep within ourselves and ask the same questions that this passage is asking us. Do we believe Jesus and act like he did in obeying God, pointing people to the kingdom of God? Or are we like the Pharisees, cutting off outsiders, seeking to live isolated lives, curved in on ourselves and only bothered with our personal holiness and growth? Are we people who call the world to come to God? Are we welcoming of the outcasts? Or are we the type of people who chase them away from the church because they're not appropriately dressed or if they look and act different from us? If we are followers of Jesus, then we cannot look like the Pharisees. We are to invite those who do not know Christ to hear about the gospel. We are to approach the world with the gospel. So ask yourself, what have you done to further the gospel today, this week, this month? If this is lacking, then do not take comfort in your personal holiness. The Pharisees thought that they were holy, but by God's standards, they have failed to do what God has asked them to do. It is not enough to desire a right relationship with God if we fail to do the very things that God tells us to do. Evangelism is not optional. On the subject of healing, we see how Jesus heals to authenticate 
the message he brings. And it is meant to reveal his identity to us. So let us not be too caught up in personalities who claim to be miracle healers, but rather in prayer and supplication, come to Jesus for our needs. Now, don't hear me wrongly. I do believe that God still heals today. But the means that God uses today is not through prophets who brings his word as he has done earlier in scripture. Because the scriptures are already established and there are no new words from him that comes apart from what is already found in holy scripture. Thus, there is no need to establish new prophets to bring us new words to add to our scripture. What we have is fully sufficient. So, pray for healing and ask others to pray for you. But don't go chasing after men who claim to have the power to heal. And finally, let us remember that God has opened our ears to the gospel. So let us seek to hear the gospel at every opportunity we can to be strengthened spiritually. God has loosened our tongues to speak of the gospel to both outsiders and to each other so that we can build up each other. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have brought the gospel to us, that Jesus revealed himself to the Gentiles. And Father, now that we are your people, help us to bring the gospel to others. Please help us to not be lax about this. Please help us to, to go out of our comfort zone, to preach the gospel clearly, not by just pretending to share the gospel with people by having some Christian chat, but genuinely tell them about Jesus. Not just claiming to live as Christians as an example, but genuinely telling people about Jesus. Help us to repent and help us to do better, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.